Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 20th March 2014. Have a listen please. Offering a humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's episode of Afternoon Satsang. If you were with us last week, you will know that you are listening to a special Afternoon Satsang in the brand new series we've started of Ramakatha Raswahini. Shri Raghavam Dasharatatmajamaprame Sitapatim Raghukulanmayaratnadipam This single shloka or stanza sums up what the Ramayana is. In fact, I remember Prem, many times Swami used to quote this shloka saying that as long as the mountains exist, as long as the rivers flow, till then the story of Rama, the Ramayana will be popular among the people. Because the story of Ramayana, as we discussed last week, is the story of every individual soul. Sairam, dear listeners, welcome to all of you to another beautiful satsang on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, the ceaseless and sweet nectarine flow of the story of Lord Rama. And as always, it is Brother Prem and 
and myself in this beautiful studios built by our dear Swami for holding this satsang and joining us along with Swami is Hanuman as we discussed whenever there is a Ramayana Parayana the story of Rama being discussed his greatest devotee Lord Hanuman too is eternally present offering our humble salutations to both Hanuman and our dear Swami we begin this satsang Sairam Prem Sairam Arvind sometime back you know I was uh, seeing a a very famous documentary by BBC. You know, it's called The Story of India. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you also would have seen it. There he makes a point, you know. He says, arguably one or two aspects of the Indian culture which has kind of held the whole Indian culture together. Mm-hmm. In that you could put Ramayana and Mahabharata. Because mm-hmm. that is one body of literature which is kind of accepted so universally. In any episode of Ramayana you take, you will find a Hindu version of it, a Buddhist version of it, a, a Jain version of it. It only means that, you know, in some form they all have accepted it and have decided to draw their own inspiration from it. Exactly. And uh, though there might be, you know, local deities, like if you go to the state of Tamil Nadu, you will see that the worship of Lord Subramanya or Kartikeya or Murga, his different names, the younger son of Lord Shiva and Parvati, it is very predominant. But at the same time, go to North India, go to the shrines of Kedarnath, Badrinath, you know, Murga might be totally unheard of. So, in such a scenario where in different parts of the country have their own favorite deity, Lord Rama in that way is special because any part of India, if we go and you say Rama, everyone knows Rama. There is almost a Ram temple in every village. And I think there must be at least a thousand villages with, with the name Rampur or Ramnagar or anything. Nagar, Pur, all these mean town in different languages. So, Rama's town, you know, with this name in different languages, I think there must be at least a thousand villages and towns in India carrying the name of Rama. So, it definitely speaks about the universality of Lord Rama and the Ramayana. Right. And also, the other thing is the kind of kingdoms which were involved in the story of Rama and later in Mahabharata Hmm. also is a unifying factor because it covers the entire breadth of this subcontinent starting from the Central Asian plateaus till the peninsular tip or in fact even further because Lanka comes beyond that peninsular tip and that also is a way in which history and geography is put together in a mythological text. Exactly and when you see the history and geography the way it has been put with such precise locations and almost you know like pinpoint accuracy it becomes very difficult to accept these as merely mythological works. But you know Prem, I was just thinking even in the wildest imagination, suppose you think if this Ramayana is just a story, even if we think of it in that manner, it is an amazing piece of literature, the likes of which has never existed before, nor do I think will ever come later on because it brings to light such diverse characters and it portrays adherence to dharma in such a perfect manner that one feels that God alone is capable of composing such a piece of literature. So, whether we consider it as only a piece of literature or whether we take it as a piece of history, it is equally inspiring, it is equally mesmerizing and fills the heart with beauty and joy. But it is here that we have the advantage of truth. By we, I mean those of us who have been privileged to know Swami and have been privileged to hear Him, see Him. We know that Rama for sure existed and the Ramayana is a piece of history, not just a mythological story because that is how Swami has narrated it. And there have been many instances where Swami has spoken of it as an autobiographical account to reliving with great nostalgia the days gone by. You know, uh, living with Swami, you know that Swami is 
will always add a little bit of that element of surprise, the element of excitement and whatever he says. And I think so many times Swami has materialized objects from that age. So I remember when I was in my first year undergrad, when Swami materialized a jewel which was supposed to be in the Chudamani of Sita, mm. which was handed over to Hanuman, a story which will, come, jewel. Right, which will come much later. That Swami materialized and showed it to the people there. I remember once one of our teachers narrating when Swami was traveling with them in the bus towards Kodekanal, Swami materialized the ring which Rama gave to Hanuman to be given to Sita. You know, Prem, I know I am jumping the story much ahead and going off to the Sundarakandam, but I remember a personal experience mm-hmm. with this regard, you know, when you say that Swami materialized the ring which Rama gave to Hanuman in his search for Sita. This was a tri session. I was a student in the Brindavan campus and I remember all of us were seated in the Jula room in front of Swami and Swami that day began to speak about the Ramayana. And that day he said, here is a question and anybody who answers this question properly will be rewarded. And you know, most often the reward used to be a ring or a chain or vibhuti or a pat on the back from Swami and anything, a reward from Swami is amazing. So all of us were eager to get the right answer to that question. Mm -hmm. And the question that Swami asked was so was so different from the standard questions and I am sure that even if you have read the whole Ramayanam, maybe you will not be able to answer it. His question was when Hanuman gave this ring to Sita, you know, to prove that he is indeed an emissary from her lord Rama. Swami asks what was the first thing that Sita asked Hanuman? This was the question. And you know, all of us tried different, different answers. I remember because I also raised my hand and I also attempted an answer. I don't remember the exact answer that I attempted. But I said something of the general kind that, you know, she further asked some questions to clarify that it is indeed my husband Rama, you know. To that effect, I gave some answer. Swami was intently looking at my face and, and you know, he said, Ni talakai, which means your head. I mean, this is this is rubbish. So, nobody was getting the answer right. And, you know, for some reason, it looked as if like Swami had decided to bless one of the students. He was my classmate. He got up and gave some answer. Again, I don't remember what the answer was. Swami said, very correct. This boy has given the correct answer and Swami told the answer. Okay. You know, what the boy had answered was totally different from what Swami told. (laughs) But anyway, Swami had decided to gift this boy. So, he created, materialized a ring for him. But you know, when Swami said that he has given the correct answer and Swami brought out that, it was so interesting because Swami said, you know, Sita asked Hanuman, it seems. Mm -hmm. This is is what Swami said. Sita asked Hanuman, Hanuman, tell me from which finger did Rama take out that ring from? Okay. So, and then Hanuman answers that he took it out from his thumb. This is really strange, right? Because a ring is often worn on the ring finger or sometimes on the forefinger or the index finger. When Hanuman answers that he took it out from the thumb, Sita rejoiced. And then, you know, Swami explained that Sita understood that missing Sita and thinking of her so incessantly, you know, Rama had forgotten food and drink. And so he had become so thin that a ring which he used to wear on the ring finger, now he had to wear it on his thumb. Otherwise it would fall off. And knowing that she was being missed so much, Sita actually felt happy with him. You know, this was the explanation that Swami gave before rewarding that boy with the ring. You know, among our classmates, all of us, we used to call this as the Sita syndrome. We created the Sita syndrome, meaning a syndrome wherein you rejoice when your loved one is suffering because of your absence. So, usually when your loved one suffers, you feel sad. But here, when your loved one suffers, you feel happy because the loved one is suffering from separation from you. So, we term this as the Sita syndrome. But, you know, this Sita syndrome, it is our name that we are given. But the Sita syndrome came to light only because of that insight that Swami gave. These kind of revelations from the Ramayana give it such a personal touch and make reliving Rama's story as told by Swami 
into a altogether different and beautiful experience and another wonderful point which comes out of what you said which is also an observation made by a lot of scholars who have studied ramayana and mahabharata hmm. and if you look at the plot if you look at the story wise ramayana is fairly a simple story hmm. compared to the mahabharata you know in mahabharata everything is verbose every character expresses his feelings you know duryodhana expresses his anger yudhishthira expresses his dharmic nature and arjuna and bhima each of the character actually go into lengthy dialogues and the plot itself is long winding to explain every aspect of the story but ramayana is actually something which stands out the nature in which it is very very subtle hmm. that is why you will find a lot of episodes in ramayana where the message is conveyed in a very subtle form hmm. and you will see every character in ramayana as we go through the story their conveyance of their emotion in that moment swami says no that sukshma buddhi of lakshmana comes out the sukshma buddhi of sita comes out how each one of them understand the unspoken words of the other mm-hmm. and that also explains why the story should not be taken at face value it has a very very subtle and important meaning and let us remember you know ramayana was the first ever poem that was written and almost every time a poem is always having something that's subtle there is something that the words convey and there is something else that the whole poem as such conveys so there is definitely a lot to learn from the ramayana as you said one at the gross level one at the subtle level and at the subtlest level too and i think prem that it is only doing justice to our listeners that without further ado we dive into the story but dear listeners before we dive into the story there's one more final aspect about the whole ramayana that we wish to dilate on and prem here i am referring to this concept of a master plan which is evident in every aspect of the ramayana very true it's not a story which was just lived out by a set of kings who were battling against another set of kings but this was a small aspect of a drama which spanned over all the worlds and all the realms if you could put it that way because the story of the descent of ravana and then which was followed by the descent of rama because we call it a descent because incidentally if you go by the original story both rama and ravana actually come from the same plane of existence mm. because they both come from heaven correct if you go back to the story of jaya and vijaya they are the dwarapalas or those who actually the gatekeepers of vaikuntha exactly. where lord vishnu resides correct you know i feel it is so important to know the different reasons for example right now we will be exploring the reason for the ramayana the reason for this divine drama that was played out and we will see that there is not one single reason you know in the first chapter of the ramkatha rasavahini swami says clearly that when one is listening to the ramayana one must be desirous only to get the karuna rasa and the bhakti rasa the juices of compassion and devotion and nothing else the plot is just incidental since there needs to be a story there is a plot otherwise every part of the story is actually exuding compassion and bhakti and that is what the listener must imbibe but being humans that we are it so often happens that when we listen to the story of the ramayana we get questions as to why this why this why not like this why not like that and at that time you know there are one or two reasons given swami has given reasons many poets many other composers valmiki has given reason kalidasa has given reasons now the problem is none of these reasons may actually completely explain something and then if we take up one incident which we shall do so in the future episode we will see that the single incident has three four different reasons because of which it had to happen in that manner it is only after knowing all these reasons we understand why it was done exactly in that particular manner and why doing the same thing by either lord rama or any other characters in the ramayana 
would not have been the correct way to do it and therefore the ramayana is perfect so unless we go really deep and explore all these we may actually be guilty of becoming judgmental and even daring to be audacious enough to judge the lord and therefore we will take up this one small example to show how many aspects how many angles are there for one particular episode so that we can use this as a sample and keep in mind in the future also that in case some explanation is not proving to be satisfactory it is not because it is not completely explained it is only because there are other explanations which we are unaware of and god's plan is always a master plan it's always perfect yes now you were telling about jaya vijaya so just going back to what that explanation that you gave you know when we come to swami we just putting the same explanation when things that happen to us when swami steps into our life hmm there are always a uh, hundred ways of explaining what swami does in our life but the error which we often do is get lost in those reasons and explanations and because swami. you know one thing which often used to strike me is see there are reasons and there is a cause the reasons can be million a reason is always an afterthought a reason is always an explanation for what has already happened but the cause for what has happened in our case when we related to swami it was only love hmm. it was just a different shade of his love but in trying to understand that action or that event we go and get lost in the hundreds of reasons and that is why when you said that there is no one reason which can explain it it is because none of the reasons can explain it even mm-hmm. if you were to find 100 of the 101 reasons you will not find satisfaction because you are getting lost in the reason which is not what you are supposed to focus on exactly don't try to understand me just experience me swami would often say and we realize the beauty of that statement because the experience in itself is so fulfilling and thrilling that once you have experienced when you will definitely say who cares if we don't understand because even those who are trying to understand will only be hoping that they will be able to experience it and those who are experiencing it will not care about understanding it at all so now you know when we take for example why did this ramayana happen why had rama to descend to kill ravana i will leave the jaya vijaya story to you but you know i will tell one story that is there that ravana he was very 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 keen that he should be the overlord of the whole world mm-hmm. and therefore he decided to do penance and win boons from the creator lord brahma the legend goes that he would sacrifice his head for lord brahma and another head would sprout in its place so that he can continue his penance and in this manner he offered 10 heads meaning almost 10 lifetimes worth of time to lord brahma in penance and lord brahma was pleased with him and when he came to grant a boon what ravana asks is lord i want to be immortal nobody should be able to destroy me lord brahma explains to him that that is against the nature of the world anything in the world is bound to get destroyed that is the nature of the world you just cannot you cannot be in the world be a part of it and be immortal it just does not happen so then ravana you know intelligently tries to fool and he says then you know give me one amruta kalash the container for the immortal ambrosia, ambrosia yes right. it's supposed to lend immortality to you right and he wishes to place it under his navel ravana and he says as long as that amruta kalash is full i should not face death so lord brahma grants him that boon as an add on boon ravana also asks he says none of the devas none of the gods none of the rakshasas none of the animals none of the beasts none of the kinaras none of the kimpurushas he names everybody he says these should not be able to kill me and while asking for this boon he forgets to mention that humans should also not be able to kill me because he feels that humans are such puny creatures where can they even dream of harming a hair on his head forget killing him so it is actually you know his ego and audacity that he does not include humans in that boon and lord brahma grants this and after this ravana becomes so audacious he goes about romping in his ego 
एंड यू नो ही कॉन्कर्स द होल वर्ल्ड ही इज अ रूथलेस रूलर ही इज इंटरेस्टेड इन एंजॉइंग लग्जरीज एंड ही इज वेरी इगोइस्टिक एंड सिंस इट्स ओनली अ ह्यूमन दैट कैन किल हिम वेन ऑल दोज आर टॉर्मेंटेड बाय रावणा गो टू लॉर्ड विष्णु एंड प्रे टू हिम टू बी देर सेवियर एंड सेव दम फ्रॉम रावणा लॉर्ड विष्णु डिसाइड्स टू डिसेंड इन अूमन फॉर्म बिकॉज इट्स ओनली अूमन हू कैन किल रावणा एंड द लेजेंड गोस दट लॉर्ड विष्णु कम्स एज लॉर्ड रामा एंड देन किल्स रावणा दैट इज वन एक्सप्लेनेशन फॉर द होल रामायण and that also explains the difference in the personality between the lord when he came as rama and the lord when he came as krishna because krishna had no hesitation in declaring himself as a superhuman yes. you know later divine when he gave the gitopadesha hmm. but he never had any hesitation in declaring that he was not a human uh, birth but with rama we will find that later in the story many times vishwamitra and sage vasishta would remind rama that he is the incarnation of lord vishnu and rama would downright deny it <laughs> say i am just rama the son of dasharatha you know who has come here to rule this kingdom he had to be human right because that was part of you know the loophole which was used to do away with ravana and in fact the story of ravana the character of ravana is a very very profound one because you know this idea that there is a brahmin class and there is a kshatriya class there are these classifications in society mm-hmm. you know put aside through this character of ravana because if you look at ravana's antecedents ravana is born to a brahmin mm-hmm. so he is a brahmin by birth he is a brahmin by birth but he is actually a mothered by a mm-hmm. rakshasi so he is actually a brahma rakshasa a demoness Bra- right ravana is called a brahma rakshasa like you have a brahma rishi and a you know a hybrid between a right a brahmin and a rakshasi demon demoness ha so he is called a brahma rakshasa but then he goes and conquers lanka and becomes the king of lanka so he becomes a kshatriya mm. so one who is born a rakshasa and who is born a half brahmin actually becomes a kshatriya because of these actions this itself shows that actions determine who you are not your birth right beautiful i mean it also clears the actual intention of the caste system wherein a person was placed in a caste based on what his uh, aptitude was and what his actions were and also the character of ravana is very interesting in that sense that here is a person who is described as a phenomenal person in the sense of his knowledge in the sense of his abilities to in music in vedas he is supposed to have mastered the vedas from his father and you know swami has said many times in the discourses that ravana had knowledge of 64 forms of art knowledge art and yeah he was which was more skilled. than ramas rama was only 32 right education wise he was but more but then you know with all that knowledge with all that prowess that lack of humility actually brought to his downfall because he missed out asking that humans should not be able to kill me and you know uh, on one hand when you think it's lack of humility before you paint ravana as black i am tempted to go into the jaya vijaya story i think we have sure. narrated this in our means versus ends discussion the story goes that the four brahma manasa putras or the mental sons of brahma i mean these were the sons who were begotten by lord brahma without the actual process of procreation and they were born of his mind they say right so the sanat kumaras these four they are on their way to vaikuntha to have darshan of their lord vishnu that is when the dwarapalas or the guards the two watchmen jaya and vijaya at the doors of vaikuntha refuse them entry they are upset at this because they say that nobody has the right to come in between the devotee and the lord the lord is 24 by 7 accessible to the devotee and therefore anybody who comes in between the devotee and the lord is worthy to be cursed wow what a message right you know again in, if you see these stories they are all so metaphorical they have so much message messages that we can imbibe in our life 
I mean, so therefore, they are upset that Jaya and Vijaya are stopping them from going and meeting Vishnu. And then they curse them, saying that because of this, you will have a fall from grace. You will no longer enjoy this post. You will have to go down to earth and spend your time among humans. You know, that is a curse that is put on them. You will get lost in Maya and you will forget your nature and you will have to go. You will be separated from the Lord. And you know, this is again another message that shows that the worst punishment that anybody could get is to be separated from the Lord. And the greatest blessing one can get is to be with the Lord. You know, that is why again we hear Swami saying, happiness is union with God. And this union they break. And hearing this curse, Jaya and Vijaya are so you know, shocked. Immediately the doors open. Lord Vishnu is there. He blesses his four devotees, that is the Sanat Kumaras. And then, you know, the Lord pleads on behalf of Jaya and Vijaya. He says, you know, forgive them. They did not know what they were doing. So don't. But once uttered, you know, that is again, every aspect has so much message. The Sanat Kumaras say that once a word has been uttered, it cannot be taken back. Once it has uttered, it is as good as the truth. That is why it is said that, you know, think thousand times before speaking one word. Because that is the power of the word, they say. They say that once we have pronounced this curse, we can't take it back. But we can modify it definitely using further words. And so they give the option to Jaya and Vijaya that you can choose seven births on earth as the greatest devotees of Lord Vishnu. After these seven births, you will return back to your union with Vishnu here. Or you can choose three births only as the greatest haters of Lord Vishnu. You will be people who cannot stand Lord Vishnu. And therefore, which of these two would you like to choose? And you know, Jaya and Vijaya choose three births as Vishnu haters. And they say that, Lord, we don't want to stay away from you. We want to return back to you as fast as possible. And therefore, our ends justify our means. And so, legend goes that they took three births. First as Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashpu. Then as Ravana and Kumbhakarna. Finally as Shishupala and Dantavakra. After which they returned back to the Vaikuntha as Jaya Vijaya. Now, knowing this, that it was these guards because of the curse that they had to take birth as Ravana and Kumbhakarna. One of them was Ravana. Now tell me, how can we say that Ravana is egoistic and bad? Ravana is such a noble soul who was pining to go back to the Lord. In fact, I read somewhere that there is a reason why they were offered only three births as God haters mm-hmm. and seven births as people who love God. And the reason given there was apparently those who hate God think of God more than those who love God. The devotees are only part-time devotees. They think of Lord in times of crisis and times of difficulties, which is why Mother Kunti asked Lord Krishna for always having difficulties in her life. But haters of God, whether they are having a good time or a bad time, whatever it is, they are always thinking of the Lord. There is also a reason why the offer ended with Dwapra Yuka. You know that? Because once when Swami was talking about this, Ah. how Sishupala and how Ravana and how Kamsha ended up thinking more of Krishna and the Lord in the process of hating them, Mm. Swami immediately added a caveat. He said, this Uh does not work for the Kali Yuga. Swami said, Kali Yuga's Mm. path is Namaspanna. He said, this way of worshipping the Lord through hatred. Ninda Bhakti, Bhakti, as it is called. Swami said, Mm. it does not work in Kali Yuga. Mm. So maybe that is also the reason why they were offered only three births. Ending in the Dwapara Yuga and not extending to the Kali Yuga. Oh, perfect. Yes, that makes great sense. And you know, even as you were telling that story of Jaya and Vijaya, I was reminded of another incident which happened during the old Brindavan. Because mm. you know, the essence of that story is, Jaya and Vijaya actually stopped the, the Brahma Manasaputras, as they are called, 
not only because they were going to disturb Vishnu. It was also because of that ego which they had that we have the authority to stop people from disturbing Vishnu. Mm. And the story goes that that is why they get cursed. It is not for stopping, but for a moment being carried away by the ego that we have the authority to stop people who come here. And that is why it is important when they said that nobody can come between the Lord and his devotees. Because somebody felt that they have the authority to stop. And you know, I remember it's a completely different one, not exactly in the mold of the story of Jaya and Vijaya. Mm. It seems once when Swami was in Brindavan, this was shared by Brother Sonam mm. once, okay. you know, when he was here, when he was a student then, there was an occasion when Swami was very, very wild with the boys and he was very upset. So Swami told the warden that I'm just leaving for Puttaparthi. I don't want to look at these fellows' faces. <laughs> and that's mm. how wild Swami was. So Swami called all the students and that was the time when even when Swami was very upset, boys would go into Swami's bungalow. Mm. And they were all standing in the hall of that old bungalow and Swami's room was in the first floor. So everybody was ready for Swami to leave. All the VIPs and all the elders were there in that hall. Even some of the students were there. And just when Swami was about to come out of his room, one of the boys walked up to the staircase. Okay, the staircase was in such a way that the one side there used to be the railings of the staircase. And the other side is a wall. The other side was a wall on which there was a window. Okay. okay so this boy went up to the last landing of that uh, staircase, stood there and held the railings with one hand and stood near the window. Hmm. So which means completely blocking the path. Hmm. Okay. And that was just when Swami emerged from the room. And everybody was wondering, what is this boy up to? Gutsy. <laughs> because you can just get thrown out and you wouldn't be surprised even if Swami <laughs> opens his third eye because that's how wild Swami gets if somebody obstructs Swami's path. You know, even when Swami used to come out for Darshan, Swami used to be very particular about that. You should not put your hand in front of Swami's feet and block his path. Block his path. I think that is very symbolic also, Prem. Watch out all those who try to block Swami's path. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this boy was there standing like that and he was turning to the other side of the staircase. So if Swami is coming on the staircase, he will not be facing Swami. I mean, his back will be to Swami. And that is the uh, other uh, breach of protocol. You know, you cannot stand like that and speak to Swami. So this boy was standing like that and Swami came down and Swami was really surprised. He said, who has the guts to do this? And this was one of the youngest boys in the lot. And Swami said, boy, take your hand. What are you trying to do? And this boy started crying. He said, Swami, you cannot go. And Swami said, what do you mean you won't let me go? He said, no, Swami, you cannot go. If you are angry with us, you have to stay here and correct us. It is not right for you to leave us like this and go. Hmm. If you have done a mistake, you beat us up, you shout at us, you scold us, but you cannot leave us like this and go. And Swami said, boy, do you have any idea what you are trying to do? You can get thrown out. I will just throw you out this moment, Swami said. He said, yes, Swami, you can do that, but you cannot leave like this. And Swami said, all the VIPs are seeing, all the elders are seeing. Don't create a scene. Move. I have to go. He said, no, Swami, I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> all the boys and the warden and the teachers are all wondering what is going to happen because this is like critical mass being created here. Anything can happen any moment. And the next moment, Swami looked around, looked at all the elders and he said, what can I do? This boy is not letting me go. And Swami went back up, hmm. which has never happened. Like, you know, Swami has never set out to leave for Parthi and gone back because somebody is not letting him go. Swami went back to his room and then Swami shut his door and was in his room and everybody dispersed. Later in the evening, Swami called all the students, called them inside and Swami was in a normal mood. The anger had gone, you know, Swami was no more upset with the students. Swami called this boy and Swami said, see, you know why I actually accepted when this boy asked me not to go? Because he did it with absolutely no ego. Hmm. He was so sure what could happen to him. Still he came and did it because he, he did it with the idea that anything happens to me, it's okay. But I have to do this because this is the right thing I feel. And Swami said, because he did it with absolutely no ego, I chose to respond to that. You know, it reminds me of so many things and the primary things among them is how 
really humble and grateful we should be prem you know very often we may fall into this trap of thinking that you know we have got this chance of being communicators communicating swami's message to the world we are spreading his joy to the world we are spreading his love to the world well that is true but at the same time let us realize that this could have been done by okay why prem and arvind it can be done by ramesh and suresh also i mean anybody doesn't matter just like jaya and vijaya got the chance to be the dwarapalas there we should always keep in mind that it's just a chance that has been given by the divine director and as you rightly said never allow ego to come in and never think that we are some people special because of which this has been conferred on us it is nothing all the specialness lies in him he decides to make something special it is him that makes anything special and without him nothing is special that is as you said a beautiful message from the jaya vijaya story now going along you know if you think that these were the causes for the ramayana that is ravana has got this boon and therefore he must be destroyed but why ravana came like this is because of this you know it's not that there one more story you know this is a very interesting story it is a story of narada mm-hmm. you must have heard of sage narada right? right the celestial wandering sage who is often considered as the greatest devotee of lord vishnu did you know that this narada actually cursed lord vishnu <laughs> yeah you know this is the legend as it goes that narada wanted to do tapas he wanted mm-hmm. to do some penance and he decided to do this penance in a garden a special garden a tapovanam as it's called okay tapovanam a tapovanam means a forest for tapas right that had been specially created by lord shiva mm-hmm. now narada was unaware about this but again this is another subsidiary legend that says that you know after that famous kama dahanam when right. uh, lord of desire kamadeva tried to induce lust into lord shiva and lord shiva opens his third eye and burns him to ashes at that time it is said that lord shiva created this tapovanam as a sanctuary for any ascetic or any sadhaka to practice sadhana without disturbance of any sort unknowingly narada is doing his penance there and as always indra gets worried mm-hmm. as to what is narada up to does he want to conquer and take my position you know indra is often equated to the mind because he is the head of the indriyas or the senses so the mind is always like the mind is always looking out at everyone in terms of competition or in terms of you know uh, higher and low and comparison so this is what indra feels so he decides to disturb the penance of narada he tries to send the elements rain fire wind but because of lord shiva's boon nothing happens in the tapovanam he even sends down some of his celestial damsels to distract narada that also doesn't happen and narada is successful in his penance which he did for his own spiritual growth mm-hmm. and if we see possibly the remaining part of the story is actually what the spiritual growth narada got but well the legend goes that narada came out and he boasted to lord shiva saying that shiva i am as great as you i have conquered desire i have conquered lust nothing could touch me i have done my penance shiva just smiles and he says it's fine narada but make sure you don't go and say like this to vishnu and narada says why i should not say it to vishnu it's a great achievement i am sure my lord will be happy so he goes and boasts to vishnu also vishnu again just smiles and uh, vishnu sends him to earth and when he comes to earth he is passing by a kingdom called shilanagar okay shilanagar literally translates into the kingdom of character mm-hmm. and there he sees a maiden she has been given different names shilavati or different different names so whatever be her name she is the princess of the land and narada immediately falls in love with her in fact he approaches her and seeks her hand not in a marriage just seeks her hand and studies her palm and from the lines of her palm he sees that she is going to marry the lord of the three worlds and now imagine this is what happens when your mind is clouded by ego and vanity instead of 
realizing that this princess is going to have as her lord the supreme lord of the universe narada feel that if i marry this princess i am going to become the overlord of the three worlds right and so he feels i should marry her but before marrying her you know there is a swayamvara a swayamvara where the princess chooses her groom and therefore narada feels in order to improve his chances of winning the princess's heart he needs a beautiful face so he goes to lord vishnu and says lord i need a very handsome and beautiful face So Vishnu says, "What kind of face do you want, and why do you want it?" He says, "Lord, because you know I am smitten by this princess. I want to marry her." So Vishnu asks, "What kind of face you want?" He says, "I want a face as beautiful as Hari. Hari is Lord Vishnu." Lord Vishnu says, "So be it." But you know, in Sanskrit, Hari also means monkey. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Narada goes there as a handsome prince with a monkey face. and when he sitting there he is unaware of this and everybody laughs at him and naturally the princess spurns him and later on it is said that this princess was an amsha or a part of goddess lakshmi and therefore she is wedded to lord vishnu himself and narada is unable to believe what happened he goes and when he sees his reflection in the water he realizes that he has got a monkey face mm-hmm. he curses all the denizens of that kingdom saying that all those of you who have laughed at me calling me a monkey you yourselves will be born as monkeys and then he is upset with vishnu for having played this prank on him mm-hmm. not realizing that this was an opportunity that vishnu gave for him to spiritually advance often times these difficulties and these situations are actually the kindness of the lord that he gives us to improve ourselves but he goes and curses vishnu saying i was already married to her mentally but you separated me from her you too will suffer this fate where you will be separated from your wife and then you know you made me a monkey thinking that monkey is a lowly creature right vishnu had no such idea you know <laughs> it was just that hari means monkey but narada feels that you consider monkey lowly but there will come a time in your life when you will have to seek the help from these very monkeys in order to get relief and these are the two curses that narada pronounces on vishnu and legend goes that vishnu smiles and says narada i gladly accept your curse because this is indeed my plan for the rama avatar you know <laughs> i will be seeking help from monkeys and yes i will be separated from my wife so you know you see how many different reasons exist for the single ramayana and how wrong would it be on our part to judge anybody as black or somebody as white without knowing all the different reasons why this happened and once we know all the reasons we just realize that it's a master plan it's a beautiful drama that's in progress we just have to enjoy every aspect of it very true that's the final idea you'll be left with that here is this one character who is actually playing through all these characters and you would only find that everybody is just playing to that one tune so i think there are a couple of other stories very very interesting ones which are the backdrop or the background to the ramayana story we'll come to that in a bit before that we'll just take a short break we'll play out a nice bhajan for you but don't go away nice interesting stories to come still
ಜಯ ಜಯ ರಘುನಂದನ ಜಯ ಜಾನಕಿ ಜೀವನ ಜಗವಂದನಾ ರಾಜ 
ಜಯ ಜಯ ರಘುನಂದನಾ ಜಯ ಜಾನಕಿ ಜೀವನ Welcome back to your listeners. We are in the middle of a satsang of Ramakatha Swani. This is our second episode. There are so many other stories which actually led to and which played as the background to this entire epic of Ramayana. And there is a very interesting story about the incarnation of Sita. You know, as you said, hmm. that Vishnu gets a curse from Narada and how he plays with that to use it in this story of Ramayana. There is another story of a sage by name Kushat Dwaja. Hmm. You know, he is a very, very pious sage who gets a very beautiful daughter and he names her Vedavati in his or in respect of the Vedas, he names her Vedavati. And from the very young age, he says that you should yearn to become the consort of Vishnu. Okay. So he is kind of, you know, brings her up with that idea that do all tapas and do all puja and sadhana to attain that boon. So whoever comes and seeks her hand, the father refuses. So many kings and so many uh, great uh, men come and offer to take her in marriage. But he says, no, no, she is born to be wedded to Vishnu. Hmm. And that is when actually the story goes that even Ravana is one who wants to wed her. Hmm. But by then what happens is one of the kings who is so upset that he is not able to attain her hand in the night kills her father and mother. But she hmm. remains in the same ashram and continues to do her sadhana in you know trying to earn Vishnu as her husband. So even though she is very beautiful, she is living like a, a hermit, ascetic, huh. ascetic, you know, with matted hair and she is wearing clothes made of the tree bark and that's how it is described. And one day Ravana who is going by that side is also smitten by her beauty and comes to try to acquire her as his wife. So that is when he comes and he tries to pursue her by his words. But when she is not very willing, what he does is he catches her hair trying to abduct her. And this woman who is so pious, with her hand she cuts off her hair. Hmm. He says, nobody dares touch this body because I am meant for Vishnu. And just there she actually invokes a fire. And he says, in front of your eyes I will give up this body. But you know, she says that all the effort which I have put now will not go waste. I will get the opportunity to be the wife of Lord Vishnu. He says, but in that birth, my husband who will be Vishnu will come and kill you. Hmm. Okay, And this Vedavati actually goes into the fire and the story goes this is actually the same soul which incarnates as Maya Sita and we will come to that story much later where this is the Sita which Ravana abducts it's not the real Sita as Swami narrates in the the later story but you know the beauty of the story is it is said that Ravana understands that this is what is actually going to give him the liberation which he will seek later Uh, what do you mean by that? in a sense see Ravana has got a boon that he is not going to be killed by anybody as Hmm. you narrated where no king no god no demigod is is going to be able to kill him. So it is said that even Ravana comes to a point where he is actually you know uh, bold about not having a match because he is so easily killing everybody who comes in front of him and he is easily conquering everybody whom he is taking war against. So he is going into a state of boredom. It might also be like a, a state of you know not only boredom of uh, you know feeling yeah, sick virakti, of life. Swami says virakti. You know, there is nothing more life can give you. If you get a chance to live to be 300 years I don't think you will want to live anymore. Right huh. and the ability to enjoy everything and the ability to have everything under your command and that is a phase actually Ravana goes through and then he remembers this curse which he gets from this lady pious lady called Vedavati so it seems that Ravana actually kind of abducts so many women after that and every woman he abducts only by catching their hair hoping that one day when he catches a woman by the hair she will say that my husband will come and kill you and when he catches Sita's hair when he comes to abduct Sita when she says that my husband will come and kill you then Ravana is so happy he says yes you are the one I am looking for I have been looking for you for so many years you know this tallies perfectly with that Jaya Vijaya story 
story that they're eager to finish their sojourn on earth and go back right. go back lord vishnu also you know when we narrate a story we say that ravana felt like this ravana had the desire to go back but in fact if you look at even us as individuals many times we'll have urges which we cannot explain in a conscious sense it's a very very subconscious urge so many people who say that first darshan of swami transported us to some other thing and you know it was so contrary to the life which they led till then mm. so when we say that ravana felt like this it may not be that ravana consciously felt like this ravana consciously recollected that this was what i wanted to happen in my life mm-hmm. it might just be that inbuilt urge which all of us feel in some point in life beautiful so dear listeners as you can see there are so many so many legends stories causes reasons for the ramayana coming through it becomes again humanly impossible to you know go through the ramayana story bringing in all these stories and that is why whenever there is a ramayana parayan usually they stick to either tulsi ramayan or valmiki ramayan or one ramayana as such so for the backbone of our ramayan story it goes without saying that we will have the ramkatha rasavahini the discussion that took place for the past 1 hour was just to show that a single action has been given so many reasons and causes and therefore nothing about the ramayana is without a reason or without a cause it's all part of the divine drama and for the sake of convenience and continuity so that we actually complete the ramayan story in maybe in a year or two we will stick to the ramkatha rasavahini and whenever we come across some interesting aside or an inspiring aside we will definitely bring it into the narrative along with of course many incidents that swami has revealed or experiences regarding swami and i think it's pretty much the time we should get into the story of the lineage of rama as we mentioned i think even last week he is born in the ikshvaku line the ikshvaku also means the sugar king right actually that was because one of the forefathers one of the ancestors his name was king ikshvaku ikshvaku and it is one of the very well known kingdoms in the bharatavarsha as it used to be called then mm. and in that lineage if you look at as we said we're going to stick to the ramakatha swayani swami starts from the king kathwanga he is supposed to be one of the forefathers of lord rama you know there is this epic work done by kalidasa it's called raghuvamsham okay if we go through that you will come to know the 20 40 60 odd kings of this raghu clan and uh, in that epic work kalidasa gives importance to some kings like raghu dilipa rama aja so these are the kings who get importance so for those who are actually interested in getting the whole lineage it would be a good idea to consider like the raghuvamsha right even in the valmiki ramayana at one point i think some 20 or 11 i am not sure of the number ancestors of rama are mentioned that is when rama and sita are getting married at that time the, <laughs> you are supposed to tell and that's when vasishta comes and tells all the ancestors names of rama janaka tells all his ancestors names and that is another place you will find all those details yeah so as prem said in the ramkatha rasavani swami starts off with khatwanga khatwanga the emperor khatwanga had a son by the name dilipa and dilipa was given in marriage to the magadhan princess her name was sudakshina yes so magadha is a kingdom that comes somewhere in the current day orissa bihar area right. so that is magadha northeast of india yes northeast of india and uh, not northern east part of india where you have assam and uh, the meghalaya and arunachal this is in very much in, in the, the subcontinent right, yes. right in the heart of india towards the northeast yes so dilipa and sudakshina's wedding is performed in great pomp but what happens after this is after years of marriage also dilipa and sudakshina have no progeny and because of that they are very worried and they go and approach sage vashishta uh, vashishta yes he is the kuluguru you know this is amazing this vashishta the sage has existed from the times of khatwanga <laughs> to dilipa and even in dasharatha's court we see you know through five six generations amazing longevity right i mean if you look <laughs> 
if you take it that way there are some devotees to whom swami has told that vasishta still lives in the himalayas wow the chiranjeevi right so yes so they go to vasishta and vasishta through his divine chakshu that is inner vision he is able to divine the cause for this childlessness and he tells dilipa again you know in this also there is such a message he says that one day when dilipa was riding in his chariot with sudakshina so lost was he in those joys that he failed to recognize and give his respects to kamadhenu kamadhenu is the cow who is supposed to have all the powers of the universe because you know swami tells us there are five mothers among which gomata figures right. so kamadhenu is considered as that gomata she has all the powers and she can fulfill all the wishes and because of neglect of kamadhenu kamadhenu curses him that you are so lost and therefore you are not fit to have a child who will be like you who will ignore the dharma of giving respect and reverence to the cow gomata and it is also because you know kamadenu says that there is a king who does not respect the cow and if the king does not respect this will percolate to the people and the subjects so this has to be you know very firmly reprimanded now i am reminded of what swami says that if one student is bad only he is spoiled but if one teacher is bad so many get spoiled the same thing can be extrapolated to the king too if a subject is bad it's fine but if the king is bad the whole kingdom is ruined and therefore it is because of this curse from kamadenu that dilipa is not able to have any progeny and so as a solution vashishta says that in my hermitage there is the divine cow nandini you take care and propitiate nandini be sincere in your duties take care of her feed her bathe her take her out for grazing protect her and if nandini is happy she can bless you so that you have a child and because of this king dilipa every day sets out with his bows and arrows following nandini wherever she goes cleaning her every morning giving her a bath then taking her out for grazing then returning with her protecting her throughout all this happens and it is during one of these times that a lion lion right decides to attack nandini for food you know and when the lion comes to attack nandini dilipa tells the lion that you should not do it because nandini is under my protection then the lion says that i too am a member of your kingdom what about me what about my hunger what about my survival so dilipa then offers himself in lieu of nandini and says you can have me but let go of nandini the lion you know swami writes that in those days even the lions were so spiritually advanced that it's touched by dilipa's offer and decides to leave him fact, free before that there's a wonderful dialogue which happens between the lion and dilipa uh-huh. you know this is not in ramgatha swami it's mentioned elsewhere where it is said that you know the lion tells him see this is after all a cow okay and this is my natural food hmm. but you are a king you have the responsibility of so many subjects hmm. so it is not right on my part to eat you who are first of all not my natural food and to deprive a nation of its king so he says that it is not right for me to eat you and why Why do you want to uh, you know jeopardize the future of so many of your subjects just to save this cow okay and uh, then it is dilipa who says see if you do an adharmic act will you be able to face your master he says will you be able to face your creator because there is a dialogue of dharma which is happening hmm. and so dilipa says that this cow is under my control my protection my protection so he says i cannot go and face the sage who has interested this cow in front of me so it is better for me to give up my life than to see this cow being harmed you know this what you're narrating has been taken from this epic that i spoke about raghuvamsha right. where kalidasa describes in fact kalidasa gives a slightly different version he says that actually dilipa you know because kings are allowed to hunt you are you can hunt down the uh, the lion and uh, dilipa is a brave king so he takes out his arrows and decides to shoot down the lion but that is when the way kalidasa writes is that the lion is actually an illusion right. created by nandini nandini and therefore as king dilipa 
Shilpa is about to shoot his arrows, his arms are stuck. He is not able to draw his weapons. And therefore he is helpless. And so he pleads to the lion. So according to that version, it is that way and this dialogue takes place. So basically the lion lets go of Nandini and Dilipa. And Nandini is very happy. The cow is very happy with Dilipa's dedication and sincerity. And she blesses Dilipa and Sudakshina that they will have a child. In fact, they partake of Nandini's milk. And it is said that within 9 months, Sudakshina is pregnant and gives birth to a radiant, divine-looking baby boy. And that baby boy is named Raghu. It is very, very important because the whole of Rama's dynasty is called Raghuvamsham or the dynasty of Raghu. Because Raghu who later became the king of that kingdom which he inherited from Dilipa. He was the one who established this kingdom as a supreme you know, overlord of all the small kingdoms which lived there. It is said that he captured so many kingdoms that towards the northeast if you go, he had gone up till Central Asia. So regions that are today Pakistan, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, even parts of Iran, all these came under Raghu's empire. And the whole of North India, the whole of Central India, the whole of Eastern India, all these were part of his empire and the empire reached its zenith under him and it's no wonder that it's called Raghuvamsham and therefore even that epochal work by Kalidasa is also called Raghuvamsham and so after Khatwanga, Dilipa, Raghu, after Raghu, Raghu's son was Aja. Right. And there's a very interesting episode in the life of Raghu. You know, mm. As we said, he goes around conquering all these kingdoms. But you know, if you look at it, you might wonder, wow, how come these kings who are so righteous have territorial ambitions? Why would they go and conquer other people's kingdoms? Mm. But it was more of a means of establishing a dharmic empire. Because what Raghu did was, he went around conquering all these kingdoms. He acquired tributes from all these kings. But then he sent back the money to all these kingdoms. He said, it is only to tell you that you will be under my sovereignty and if I feel that you are not ruling well I will come and question you. But he allowed the kings to rule. Yeah, it was like the current constitutional structure we have where there is a central government and, and the other there are different states. Right. Yes. That is when you know when he comes back with all that wealth he actually distributes it to the subjects in his country, the mm-hmm. remaining wealth. He says the rest of it he gives and then an interesting episode happens when a Brahmin comes and he comes to seek alms as Dakshana which he is supposed to give to his Guru. And that's when I think Kautsu is the name of that Brahmin who comes. Mm-hmm. But he comes a bit late, by then Raghu has already distributed all the wealth. So, But he says that, see, I cannot refuse you, you have come to me. So then he says, how much do you owe your Guru? So then this this Brahmin, he says, he quotes a huge, enormous amount of money. And then Raghu says that the only way I can actually please this Brahmin is if I go to Kubera and fight with him and take the money from him. Kubera is a lot of Kubera wealth. Kubera is a lot of wealth. Mm. And when Raghu is preparing to take, you know, an army against Kubera, that night Kubera actually fills his coffers. He says that if Raghu comes to fight with me, I cannot win him. Mm. So Kubera fills. And that's when this Kautsu, he says that a king to whom the earth opens its wealth is a very, very noble king. But here is a king to whom even the heavens is ready to open its wealth. So he says he is definitely worthy of being a ruler of this entire dominion. And he says, I will bless you with a son who is as virtuous as you. Aha. And that's how the son Ajay is born. One more point that I want to make here, Prem, is that, you know, all the invaders that attacked Raghu's kingdom and later were quelled by Raghu and he took them over, they were called as the Hunas or mm-hmm. the Mlechas. You know, it, it roughly translates into barbarians. Okay. This is an important point because it shows that, you know, in other parts of the world, when the Ramayana happened, it was still civilization coming into effect. There was nothing like a kingdom. They were just barbaric tribes and, you know, it was a kind of order, sanity and civilization that this great Raghu spread to the rest of the world also. Because all civilization apparently existed only in these parts 
and in the rest of the part it was still like early man hunter tribes barbaric attacks there's no cohesion there's no society there's no democracy and so in that manner when you say that he conquered them it was not for ego or for boasting it was in order to bestow them with a more safe life a secure life a prosperous life and a civilized life and more a kind of a, an accountability those who were i think most of them would have been chieftains and uh, tribal leaders exactly. so now they are under the authority of a king who is here to establish a more dharmic dominion and as aja that is son of raghu guru aja was married to a beautiful princess by the name indumati and uh, there's an interesting story that happens you know aja and indumati they are deeply in love with each other and it is to them that dasharatha is born dasharatha is the father of lord rama okay. the story goes that one day in the garden when indumati and aja are spending some happy time together the celestial sage narada is passing in the skies and one flower happens to fall from his head on to the head of indumati and the minute it falls she collapses and she gives up her body you know a princess of such delicate constitution that a flower falling on her head makes her lose her life <laughs> and this depresses ajatus no limit he so sad he feels that there is no reason to live at all that is when narada himself comes to aja and explains to him why this has happened and he tells him the story of a great renunciant and a person who was doing penance called trinabindu trinabindu yes trinabindu you can continue with the story right trinabindu was the uh, ascetic who was doing immense penance and again that spiritual significance which you gave was very important indra who actually represents the mind hmm. he is again you know endangered when somebody is doing too much of a penance because you penance know. always helps you overcome the mind overcome the mind silence the mind and overrule the mind swami always says that master the mind be a master mind so that the, the mind doesn't like the mind obviously doesn't like and so indra represents that restlessness of the mind you know that uh, fear of being uh, one point to add here prem you know it is literally what happens you know when we try to do our sadhana the mind doesn't like it and you know symbolic whatever they show is metaphorical you know they say indra sends fire he sends water he sends damsels the mind does the same thing it reminds you of your hunger the fire of hunger it reminds you that you should sleep it starts uh, distracting you with other things you know television your cell phone <laughs> everything so much so that most of us say that i would love to do sadhana but i don't have time to do sadhana that is the thing that indra or the mind is capable of anybody tries to make efforts to overcome the mind master the mind and go beyond the mind the mind is not happy it wants to keep you trapped and it does all this i think that is a metaphorical significance of indra disturbing any person doing penance and there is also another significance for the character of narada which is often told hmm. because it's most often it is narada who will go and uh, notify indra about something which is happening yeah he will ignite indra right he is the one who goes and ignites indra and says that are you aware that somebody is doing so it is said that actually narada represents a very uh, satvic nature in you because mm. it is said that you cannot attain any spiritual gift mm. without overcoming the mind mm. so it is something which in a very positive way tells your mind to go and obstruct and it paves way for you to overcome the mind it is again a very uh, elaborate play of the god the mind it shows that the mind is so pivotal in, in spiritual growth no wonder it is said manaiva manushyanam karanam bandha moksha the mind is responsible for your bondage the mind is responsible for your liberation too and yes so the explanation that 
that Narada gives right. for. So there is this Trinabindu who is uh, doing a lot of penance and again Narada must have gone and told Indra and Indra tries all his ways and the last way which he always you know goes to is to send some divine damsels and divine enchantress to disturb the penance of this sage. So he sends a damsel by name Harini and uh, as always <laughs> I don't know it repeats so many times in the epics of Ramayana and the Mahabharata the sage is enraged with this uh, disturbance which he is getting to his penance and he curses this damsel saying that you will be born in the earth as a human being and Narada tells Aja that this Harini was born as Indumati and that was your wife and Harini at that time falls at the feet of the sage and says that I am sorry please forgive me I was just following orders of the mind it's not my fault so then Trinabindu blesses her saying that the minute your time on earth is up you will not have to stay one second more and you will be notified of that when a heavenly flower falls on your head so Narada says that this is all part of the divine design so you don't have to worry that is how he consoles Aja and he tells Aja that now you have a young son Dasharatha you should teach him how to rule the kingdom and then he advises him to give up this materialistic pursuit he says that there is a time in life when you are supposed to enjoy this and sport you know this company of your wife and all this now a time has come when your son is now grown up and ready to take over the reins from you now is the time when you have to go towards the sannyasa ashram so he advises him on that and you know in that manner this tragedy of losing his wife also becomes a reminder for him to progress in his own spiritual journey. Over the next eight years, he prepares Dasharatha, crowns Dasharatha as the king of Ayodhya and then he takes leave, goes into Sanyasa. So, that is how Swami in the Ramkatara Samayani traces the lineage from Khatwanga to Dilipa, Dilipa to Raghu, Raghu to, to Aja, Aja to, to Dasharatha and after that, we will have Rama. Now, that is another beautiful story in itself, the birth of Lord Rama. And the interesting thing that, that you said about Aja taking to Sanyas in the end, I think this is also something which Swami says happens in you know every ancestor of Rama. Khatwanga is hmm. supposed to have done that. Yes. Dilipa does that towards Correct. his age. So this was also a part of the dharmic life which those people were leading. That even kings had to turn to a life of renunciation at least to the end of their life, if not earlier. It perfectly matches with the four purusharthas or the objectives of human life. Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. Dharma is righteousness which one adheres to in the Brahmacharya Ashram. In the first stage of your life. Artha, Artha is like wealth. Right, wealth and knowledge. Yes, wealth and knowledge. knowledge. Uh, the wealth of knowledge and the wealth which they acquire in the grahastha stage and then in the uh, student phase yes then, right the kama kama is desire and finally moksha and swami has given a beautiful interpretation for this also he says you must earn artha you must earn wealth in a dharmic manner that is why dharma and artha are together you know swami compares them to the four wheels of the car of a vehicle the, so he says dharma artha they are the front wheels so they are together so you must gather artha through dharma and you must have kama or desire for moksha so it is perfect adherence to the four purusharthas that makes all these kings go through these different stages of brahmacharya learning under a guru becoming the king ruling wisely and well training the future getting ready going to the forest and renouncing everything and becoming one with the lord again so so beautifully and dear listeners many times in the story we will not narrate it because it's almost repetitive every single one every single king without exception did this and so it is not any special trait that we mention it but since it happened as a tragedy for aja we mentioned it so this is something inspiring for all of us that we too should follow this this pattern the problem nowadays Prem is that we in spite of getting so advanced in age are still stuck up in Artha and Kama we forget Dharma and Moksha completely Swami often says you know 
the problem with the present day man is that period where that grihastha is supposed to be lived it is supposed to be just one fourth of your life but it consumes one half of your life brahmacharya is becoming lesser and that period where your vanaprastha or you know sanyas ashrama is supposed to come it comes very very late that most people do not step into it at all hmm. you know they die as grihasthas they might die at the age of 80 85 but they die as grihasthas that is a sad state of affairs and hopefully listening to the ramayana will inspire us to lead lives filled with dharma and as always when we listen to the ramayana let us imbibe the compassion of the lord let us imbibe the love of the lord dear listeners it's 158 in our studios and it is time for us to wrap up this segment hope you have enjoyed this we have received all your feedback it was very very gratifying and it felt wonderful to know that a lot of people have appreciated that we started this ramkatha one interesting feedback before we go we received was from a listener who said that her daughter asked why is it that there is only one brahma temple in the whole world and not many you know prem and myself we searched for many reasons and there are dozens of stories as to why there are no brahma temples on the face of the earth but then dear listener who wrote to us we would like to assure you that the reason that your little daughter came up with we felt is the most beautiful reason you know dear listeners what did the daughter of this listener say she told her mother mom i think that since there is only one creator for this universe there is only one house that he needs because there is only one creator and i think that is such a beautiful thought for us to mull upon as we conclude this satsang that we have all come from that single creator there is only one creator and let us live our lives with that universal brotherhood of man and fatherhood of god with that we bring this satsang to a close hope you enjoyed this satsang sairam thank you sairam you just heard an episode of our radio program afternoon satsang this was a segment of radio sai's thursday live hosted by prem and arvind at 12:30 pm indian standard time on thursdays only on asia stream of radio sai global harmony the discussion was on the ramakatha rasavahini a book written by swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 20th march 2014 dear listeners we hope you like this program as always send us your feedback to listener at radiosai.org thank you and loving sairam from prashanthi nilayam